All right, hey everybody, this is Father Mark Mary, joined by Father Malachi and Dr. Greg Bataro. Dr. Greg Bataro, this is our this is episode three as we've been going through the Who Do You Say That I Am, the Catholic response to the transgender question or transgenderism, and we're on the road. We're in uh, Dr. Greg's sort of, this is like a high-class man cave. It's like basically <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, right? Uh, we're, we're in his office, and we just had a lovely meal with his home. And uh, Dr. Greg, we, we called in a, a specialist for this next episode. So Father Malky, why don't you help introduce Dr. Greg here? All right. Yeah. Well, great pleasure to be here with you, Dr. Greg. Oh, um, thanks. It's good to be here with you. Yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a joy to be able to dive into this topic that we're dealing with today. Obviously, everybody who's been listening so far has heard about this progression that we're in in this series. This is part three. We kind of landed the ship last time talking about this plan of God for our humanity being made in his image and likeness and that expression of this call that each of us have to loving communion with God and with others revealing itself in our bodies in this difference, right? We talk about male, female, um, and masculinity and femininity. We started to flesh out a little bit of that, but we kind of pulled back, um, pulled back because I wanted to go into that with you here today, Dr. Greg. I mean, obviously, as soon as you start trying to define, like, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? You know, flags go Look up. Out. Yeah, it's like, whoa, we just walked into a landmine. Yeah. Um, So, but I want to walk into that landmine quite intentionally today because I I think we as a culture, we as a church, we've got to hear that and understand that because it's it's the truth that sets us free. It's this deeper understanding of who we actually are um, that's going to give us the ability to live the fullness of life that God has made us for. So, so why don't you take us down that road, diving in, maybe first off, sharing a little bit about the work that you do, um, your background, and, and then would love to just really go after this question, uh, what does it mean concretely? What are we talking yeah. about when we use those words, masculinity, femininity? Yeah, and I, you know, I think even to back up from there is just to think about principles in general. You know, like mm. what's the purpose of principles and why do we need them? Mm. You know, I grew up in a, in a family that was very close family, Italian, and um, family was the ideal, and we yep. kind of lived that way until yep. my parents got divorced when I was seventeen. Mm. You know, so you know, fam- we were we were nominally Catholic, but really, family was almost taught to be implicitly more important than the faith mm. um, until it was ripped apart. You know, and so I suffered the 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 sort of disorientation that comes from not having grounded principles, mm. and and I went on a journey at that point to kind of figure mm-hmm. out like what's love supposed to be? Mm. What's marriage supposed to be? What is mm. family supposed to be? Mm-hmm. And what's our faith supposed to be? Mm-hmm. You know, because I knew I knew enough to know that, you know, God was real and somehow this is really important. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't know how it all shakes out. And so um, you know, when I discovered I discovered the work of John Paul II, I mm-hmm. discovered um in, in his writing on love and specifically in love and responsibility, he's talking yeah. about the principles of relationship. Mm-hmm. So we're moving away from what does it feel like? What does everybody else say it is? You know, like what are the stats? And it's really just like, well, let's let's abstract some philosophical principles here. Let's mm-hmm. include people's experience. We're not mm-hmm. getting so far away from being human, but we're gonna try to understand some philosophical principles. Mm-hmm. And I resonated so deeply with that idea. And it made it so clear to me how the teachings of the church 
you know, thank God for me, that was like the manifestation of the church. It was JP2. Yeah. That was actually the year 2000. He had proclaimed the Jubilee year. Wow. And, um, and then, you know, I got a little into theology of the body and, and then I was going deeper into the teachings of the church. I happened to be, I was at Boston College that year. It was my freshman year and I had Peter Kreeft, who's like the Catholic <laughs> C.S. Lewis. Yeah. You know, so more principles, more philosophy, more sort of like logical reasoning to like, you can't, Mm. You know, you can't argue against just really clear, simple reasoning. Mm-hmm. And and when things are put so clearly. So it moved me to a point where I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to give my life to. And when I read Love and Responsibility, I personally, uh, it just somehow fit into my personality that I saw that as a way to help people. And and I really read it like a psychology manual. And I was like, oh, this 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 must be like what Catholic therapists use to do marriage therapy, right? You know, and I had yeah. no idea at that point that that like didn't exist. <laughs> and and so, you know, from my point, from that point on, my 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 journey was sort of like to figure out how to integrate all these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, long story short, it's probably probably a different episode, but <laughs> I did spend three and a half years as a Franciscan friar with uh, yeah. you good people, and uh, and and explored a vocation to religious life and and um, you know, in temporary vows. You know, discerned that it was called the family life, so I left, and then I went back to graduate school. I finished my doctorate, and um, and then I ended up uh, moving back to New York, and got married, and and now I have a practice with mm. you know thirteen therapists and a beautiful wife of almost eight years with uh, five kids. Number six is on the way, yeah, and uh, yeah, thanks, and um, and so, but this is this is like the point of my vocation. Um, and, and, the, and the Catholic Psych Institute is, is this, this group that we've formed to bring together these principles that come from our faith and, and the way they integrate with the human experience. And so we can help people discover why is there suffering? Why is there unhappiness? Mm. You know, at the end of the day, of course, we have to accept that there's suffering in this world and we're called to unite that to Christ. Mm. But there's suffering that we add mm. to the suffering that may be God's will. And so we're trying to figure that out and crack that code, you know, to figure it out and, and, and really to believe that God wants us to be happy. Mm. You know, it's like sometimes that's a little too hard of a concept for, for a lot of good Catholics. Yep. You know, it's like there's a reason why you're unhappy and not just because God wills it and you're supposed to accept God's will. Maybe it's because there's some things you could do differently. Mm. Or, or different ways you can think about yourself. Or maybe you're not really receiving God's love for you mm. and you don't really understand divine mercy. Mm. And if there's, if there's some block emotionally that's happening on a psychological level because of the way you've been brought up, because of trauma that's occurred in your life, because of lots of different angles there, we can figure out how to remove those blocks. Mm. And so are we, are we pr- claiming to take away all suffering? Absolutely not. But... We are claiming to be able to bring people to a place where happiness and holiness are actually two sides of the same coin. Mm. And that's the fullness of the human vocation. Mm-hmm. We're called to become the best versions of ourselves. That looks like holiness from a spiritual side. It looks like happiness from a psychological side. Mm. And that means even accepting the suffering that we're certainly bound to, to embrace. Mm-hmm. So it's grounded on principles. Mm. Now, when we get into this mess that we find ourselves in now, which is a landmine, it's a minefield, right? So we're just like going in, we're going in. <laughs> going in, baby. <laughs> At first. It's like, okay, so why is this so disorienting? Why is this so unraveled? 
And it's because we've lost the ability to think clearly and and discern principles. Mm. You know, so even before we get to the transgender issue or gender issue or whatever it is, you know, I, I think that there's an even more fundamental, well, really it's a heresy, but a fundamental error in thinking, which is the Cartesian, you know, Cartesian dualism, mm-hmm. you know, the separation between the body and the spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, we're two distinct things. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea of the unity of the human person has been lost. So this is like a fundamental principle that I think has to be acknowledged before we even talk about gender. Mm. You know, because JP2's insight in theology of the body, the body makes visible the invisible. Yep. That's the antidote to Cartesian dualism in one sentence. If that's true, then there, yes, of course, we can understand the body and spirit separately, but there's something that the body is revealing about the spirit. The body makes the visible invisible. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing we can really know besides through revelation about the human person is revealed to us through the body itself. Mm. And yes, that includes gender. So how do we know there's a male person? Because we look at the body and we know what a body of a male person looks like. Mm. Same for a female body, that's a female person. Mm. That because the body and the spirit are one. The, the person is manifest in the body of that person. Mm-hmm. But, but if, if, we, if we disagree on that fundamental point of, of, of Cartesian dualism, mm-hmm. and, and, we, and if somebody really believes that the body and the spirit are separate things, you know, then, then we have a lot more work to do than just sort of like going to the, you know, going to the guns over gender. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. how many Catholics believe implicitly that the body and spirit are really two distinct things? Mm. You know, I think this is really implicit in our culture that we kind of imagine we're walking around and our spirits are just sort of like caged in these bodies. Mm. We're, we're, we're the ghost in the machine. Or, you know, yeah. when we die, we, we shed these dirty bodies. You know, they fall to the dirt and turn into dust. And the real us you know, float into the sky. The spirit is the real us. Mm. And this is the true version of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to float away into heaven. And there's a harp waiting for you. In a and cloud. there's a heart in a cloud, right? <laughs> and, and, and so that's dualism. Yeah. It, that's, that's like metaphysically, there's, there's a, an implicit error in thinking like that. Mm-hmm. And, and really the metaphysics, the, the, the doctors of our church will say, there's like a cosmic uh, paradox or even a, a cosmic tragedy when we talk about the separation of body and spirit. Mm. Like m- metaphysics philosophically actually don't know how that can even be a thing. Mm. We accept that it's a thing. Obviously mm-hmm. it's true, but, but how? Philosophically, we don't know how that's even possible mm. because of the unity of the person in the body and the spirit. Mm-hmm. So... If we, if that's like the sort of fundamental principle that I think is missing in our culture. So when we get to the point of gender, okay, so what is it to be a male person or a female person? Yep. You know, if you don't believe that the spirit and the body are connected, then of course, sky's the limit. Yeah. You know, you can be really, you know, 60 if your body is 20. You mm-hmm. can be black if your body is white. You can mm-hmm. be male if your body is female. Like what's, mm-hmm. why not? If you're, if you really are, you know, you can be yeah. whatever it is you want to be detached yep. from what your body says you are. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's the problem of where we're at right now. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking about some of the stuff we spoke about in episode two and um, this understanding of this unity between the body and the soul is something that goes back to this uh, gift that's been received in our humanity that we talk about as the image of God. That like all these other things that you look at in the world, they, they are, they're, they're material, but when you look at a human person, there's something more than just the material mm. that's present there. There's this spiritual dimension and that's what we're talking about here. Um, and you also mentioned like the Cartesian dualism, just to sort of unpack that. For anybody who's not familiar, uh, this you know guy, um, Descartes basically sought to try and figure out like what what is the foundation of my understanding of reality, and he isolated his mind and saw his mind as somehow radically separate from the material world around him, and so that's where this dualism. But interestingly enough, dualism goes all the way back to the beginnings of Christianity. Mm. And in fact, the earliest heresies, which are referred to as the Gnostics and later developing into a group called Manichaeans, all of them were doing the same thing. Um, and and I, was, I was kind of talking about this before. It's interesting that the human struggle to reconcile these differences that don't seem like they can be held together right. is the root of that. Yeah. And the reason the differences can't be held together is is the it's the fruit of us stepping away from the mystery of the Trinity. Yes. And the mystery of us being made for a relationship with the Trinity, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So like we can't figure it out as we're trying to do it on our own. And so we our best attempts, the human mind trying to encompass it fall short and well, there's no way I could see how these two could be connected and therefore- Therefore it must not be connected. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then you have to err on one side or the other. Yep. And I think the whole history of heresy, <laughs> coming back 2000 years, yeah. can, you can always say like which, which uh, false dichotomy is being sort of emphasized, you know, which side of the polemic is being emphasized here. Mm-hmm. Christ is not really human. He's really all divine and just sort of appearing to have some human mm-hmm. dimension. Or Christ is, is uh, you, know, a, 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 you know, a prophet who's, you know, blessed and yeah. beloved, but he's not, he's not God. Yeah. You know, you can't have both. Mm-hmm. You know, or even in culture, we say, you know, we had go from, you know, uh, you know, thinking of, of, you know, Hindu gods everywhere, you know, where everything there's a spirit of everything, mm-hmm. and and polytheism or whatever it is, and yeah, and, yeah. and 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 New Age kind of spirituality, mm-hmm. you know, or you know, there's this denial of the Trinity. You know, mm-hmm. there can only be one God, mm-hmm. and it's it couldn't be the manifestation in the Trinity. So it's like always one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And and then we have like the the super over spiritualized religious who yeah. deny the body. Yep. And then you have the atheistic materialist yeah. who deny the spirit. Yeah. It's always this this tension mm. between holding the both and, and that's exactly where the point of mystery, yeah, you know, comes into view. It's like absolutely, it's both and. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. And that's the only path to actually discover the truth is when we can live with the tension of mystery mm-hmm. and then allow it to change us instead of us trying to change truth. Yes. I mean, and that's, we were talking a little bit about this on the phone, you know, the other, other day, but that's it. Like this, the human person unable to stand before the mystery of God is also unable to stand before the mystery of our own nature. Mm. Like, because I can't stand in front of this God who doesn't fit into my Petri dish mm. or into my algorithm and I can't comprehend 
this God who is three in one, this God who is the source of all that exists. Yeah. Um, I can't at the same time stand in front of the mystery of this human person who is body and spirit, who has this thing that I can see, touch and feel, which we call the body that reveals something that I can't see, I can't measure, I can't touch, uh, which is the spirit, the soul. And in the refusal to stand in front of the mystery, like you said, it leads you in one direction or the other. Right. You're either the angelism where the body is right. absolutely um, irrelevant or it leads to the materialism where the spirit doesn't exist. And yeah. we're just, you know, everything is just a biomechanical or a neurological chemical reaction. And it's like uh, our experience um, runs in direct conflict with that. And yet we still, as long as we can't stand in front of this mystery of, of the revelation of God as the Holy Trinity, there's always going to be the struggle to stand in front of the mystery of the human person. Um, I'd like to keep going in there on that question of this mystery of the human person. I know you've, you've had some really profound insights uh, that you shared in, in your own work and some videos and things that you've posted on your website about, okay, now looking at the body looking at even like the, the brain, looking at the interior workings, hormones, et cetera. Um, what is that going to reveal to us about the concrete uh, expression or the concrete truth of what we mean when we say masculinity, what we mean when we say femininity, and, and how are these things to be understood um, in relationship to our identity as an individual person? Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, it's 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 where we can use these principles and dissect and really mm-hmm. go in with a scalpel and really start to like piece apart what it is to be man, what it is to be human, what it is to be woman, mm-hmm. and what it is to be in relationship. Mm. All these all these concepts come together. Yeah. And so you know, again, the body makes visible the invisible. And so we look at the brain, we look at the endocrine system, we look at the function of the body. Mm-hmm. And we can discover there are fundamental, irrefutable differences between male and female versions of the human body. Mm. And, you know, I, I've heard people sort of argue for, you know, there's this little difference in hormones and chemicals in this one little gland in the brain. Or there's this, you know, if you look at the anterior cingulate cortex of those who, you know, self identify as homosexual, mm-hmm. you're, there's a difference. And they're, da da da. It's like, okay. Can we find these anomalies? Can we find these expressions, first of all, of personality that actually there are many differences within the brain of the same gender mm-hmm. between different personalities? But mm-hmm. secondary to that, we have a whole body. Yeah. You know, the brain is not dissected from the body. Every single cell of your body tells whether you're a male or female. Mm. It's not just your brain. Mm-hmm. You have, yes, your your brain works together with the rest of your body, but mm-hmm. you know, a womb is not something that is part of the male body. Yeah. And the entire endocrine system and the entire neurological system and the entire psychosexual developmental system of sort of of the stages of development of the person mm-hmm. are are in, intrinsically tied to whether that is a male or a female person that is developing. Mm-hmm. And so the brain changes that happen over time. Now, there are individual differences, mm-hmm. but there are fundamental differences yep. between male and female. You know, individual differences within the gender, but there are fundamental differences between the two. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at that, we see, okay, if we believe the body makes visible the invisible, we can say that there are fundamental differences between male and female 
bodies. So therefore, we know there are fundamental differences between male and female persons. Mm. And if we go there, we can say, well, what is it to be male? What is it to be female? Mm-hmm. Now, people throw out these objections. Whenever I give a talk on this or whenever I bring this up, it's like, well, you know, I dated this girl and she was a lot more like a man than you know, any of my brothers. <laughs> yeah. and, or, you know, you know, a woman says, like, well, I really relate more to the way you're describing the masculine versus the feminine. Or the men say, like, well, what about me? I'm, you know, I'm much more compassionate mm-hmm. and I want to empathize and, and connect more. And of course, because we're not meant to stay in our little silo of what it is to be a man or a woman. Mm. And this is the piece that's missing from almost all of the conversation that I've heard mm-hmm. in and outside of the church. Yeah. And there's a there's a very, very important letter, a church document written by Cardinal Ratzinger as a prefect for the Congregation for the uh, Doctrine of the Faith. It's called A Letter to the Bishops of the Catholic Church on the Collaboration of Men and Women in the Church. It's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in there he talks about the telos, you know, the, the purpose for being made man and woman. Mm-hmm. So whether we're looking at physiolo- physiological philosophy mm-hmm. and we see that the, the human person is, is a body and spirit and we can look at the body and we know there's differences, or if we're looking at it by faith mm-hmm. and we believe the book of Genesis, male and female, he created them, mm-hmm. there's a difference. So let's just accept that for the sake of argument. But then the question is, Why? Mm. Who's asking why? Mm-hmm. Why is there a difference? Mm-hmm. Because the two shall become one. And what does that mean? In this unity that the man and woman are called to create with each other, there's a giving and a receiving that's mm-hmm. reciprocated, and it creates the synergy of a mutual dynamic of gift and growth. Mm. Because as we give as we die to self, as we give ourselves, we receive, we become ourselves. Mm-hmm. So in the giving and receiving that happens in the dynamic of male and female, each is actually becoming a better version of themselves. And this mm-hmm. is a constant ongoing dynamic. Pope mm-hmm. Francis calls marriage an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. It's a lifelong ongoing process. And it's not just because you didn't have a good enough pre-cana. <laughs> Nobody had a good enough pre-cana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so... Just get over it. Yeah. But life is going to go on, and it doesn't matter if you had the best mentorship in the world. Yeah. I took my wife to uh, Christopher West's uh, Theology of the Body, the Head and Heart Immersion course for a week as a, as a wedding gift because <laughs> our pre-gainer was not adequate. And, you know, we had the best formation ever. I had Friar mm-hmm. formation. I had a doctorate in psychology. Like, it took me about six months to figure out like none of that means anything <laughs> when it comes to the actual crucible yeah. of formation in marriage, mm. the actual apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. So it's this ongoing growth and, 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 and dying of self. Why are we male and female? It's because when we receive a gift, we are changed by that gift. Mm. And and I give this example. It's like if you if you come to my house and you brought a little gift and you brought like a, a picture that was made to hang on the wall, mm-hmm. you know. And and then I take that gift and I like after you leave, I like throw it in the back of the closet. You know, is that what you do with my <laughs> gift? <laughs> That's how you would feel because you're not yeah. being received. Yeah. And what nothing has fundamentally changed about my life, about my room. I haven't really received your gift. Mm. 
But if I take that picture and I put it up on the wall, something about me is changed mm-hmm. because I've received what you have to give. Mm-hmm. And now I'm better for it. Mm. If it's a gift, if it's a good gift, it's a nice, hopefully it's a nice picture. <laughs> Father Mark Mary worked on it all my uh-huh. <laughs> Use all my crayons on it. That's some great splatter right there, Father. Thanks. Uh, but, but, you know, when, when we receive the gift of a human person made with infinite dignity, unrepeatable, unique, mm. in the image of God himself, mm. what is it to receive the gift, the full gift? in the sacrament of marriage, especially, of another person. Hmm. It's not a picture on the wall. It doesn't just change my, my house. It changes me as a person because I'm receiving a person. Hmm. And what, it's not just abstract philosophy or spirituality. Like, what does that mean psychologically? What it means, I'll give you an example. When my daughter, my, my oldest daughter, who is uh, five, when she was about three, we're sitting at the dinner table, and she went and she knocked over her brother's cup of water. And it's common commonplace activity as you just experienced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I, I took her by the arm and I was super firm with her. And I was like, Francesca, don't do that. And the firmness in my face and my tone of voice shattered her heart. Mm. And that was something that I could have done to Elijah, my oldest, who was six, who was a a boy. Mm -hmm. I could have done that to him. It would have been like, okay, dad. Mm. But when I did it to Francesca, it shattered her heart and Mm. she melted. Her face melted. She started bawling her eyes out at the table and it killed me. Mm. And my wife looks at me and she goes, you can't talk to a girl like that. And I was like, oh, and never to this day mm. have I forgotten that lesson. Mm. And as a dad, like I was so moved by that experience that literally every time I talk to one of my daughters to discipline them, I have to, I'm thinking about that. It's like mm. front of mind. Mm-hmm. So my wife shared with me her perspective, her heart, her, her teaching, her wisdom, mm-hmm. her experience as a woman, her understanding of the dynamic as my wife. Mm-hmm. And I received it. Mm. And because I received her and her femininity, mm-hmm. it made me a better version of myself. Mm. And that means that I'm still a man, but I'm a little softer, mm. a little gentler. I understand how to relate a little better to mm. the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. And it changed me for the better. So I became mm. a better version of myself by receiving my wife. Mm. And so we have to think about this. If, if there's a difference between the male and the female, then we have to think about why is it there? It's to bring us to sainthood. Mm. It's so that we give and receive of each other in relationship. Yeah. And it makes us better versions of ourselves. And that's a psychological, practical, actual reality. Mm. It's not just some abstraction. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of times I'm giving this part of the talk and people are like, well, still... Like, you know, my fiance, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my wife, my whatever, it's like they have all these individual differences. And it's like, well, of course, because you're talking about adult relationships. Hmm. When you're an adult, most of your personality is, has already been formed. Yeah. You know, you're, you're really just doing the finishing touches. Hmm. And even if 
all of marriage is an apprenticeship. It might be 50 years of finishing touches. Yeah, yeah. You know, me being formed in that moment to become a little softer and gentler with my daughter, like, mm-hmm. that's not like a major personality shift. Mm-hmm. It's an important finishing touch, but it's not, it's not what, what happens in childhood. Mm. And so what, what we need to remember is that the first dynamic of complementarity actually occurs between a parent and a child. Mm. So this is the sort of paradigm that we've set up as the Catholic psych model for the school of love. And we talk about the school of love. The family is the school of love. Mm. And, and we, again, we talk about these things theologically, spiritually. What does that mean psychologically? What does it mean humanly speaking? Mm. What it means is that a man, is a, as a father, is a model of masculinity to his sons, and he's a complement to the femininity of his daughters. Mm. And he gives his daughter the first experience of being loved by a man and received in her femininity. He's also modeling to her, he's showing her what it looks like, what a woman should expect to be treated like by a man in the way that he treats his wife. Mm. So the marriage is on display to the children. And so he's modeling, this is how to be a man in the way that you treat a woman. This is how to be a man in the way that you expect to be treated by a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you let yourself be pushed, you know, a pushover and stepped on, and if, if, if the mom is aggressive or abusive and mm-hmm. you know, the man is kind of a pushover, that teaches the kids something. Mm-hmm. And if he's the aggressor and he's abusive or whatever, that teaches the kids something. Mm-hmm. Or if he's aloof, if he's distracted, if he's giving in to all of his coping mechanisms, if he's mm-hmm. avoidant, all these things teach the kids mm. how to be a man, how to be in relationship with a woman. Mm-hmm. So if we think about the entire childhood as being like the formative time period, mm-hmm. then, then, okay, so, so if you're at the young adult, you know, theology on tap or whatever, and I'm giving yep. a talk and you're like, oh yeah, my 15, 16-year-old girlfriend, you know, is, is more like this or more... You're talking about somebody who's been formed for 15 years already. Yeah. So, like, let's talk about her parents. Let's talk about her relationship with her dad. Let's talk mm-hmm. about her relationship with her mom. Let's talk about her mom and dad's relationship with each mm-hmm. other. There's lots of reasons why you're observing these differences. Yeah. Here's a perfect example: Bruce Jenner, uh-huh. now Caitlyn Jenner. His he in the 80s and 90s he he would he gave a, a couple of interviews where I saw I saw him talking about his dad, mm-hmm. who is this macho uber male Mm -hmm. who was really aggressive and it sounded like abusive Mm -hmm. and his in the 80s he was like basically saying like if that's what being a man is I don't want any part of it Mm. well of course yeah you know and this is why we're 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 failing culture by not Mm. a having this really well nailed down as a church in Mm -hmm. our faith and B, teaching it and proclaiming it from the rooftops. Yeah. Because if somebody was there to tell Bruce Jenner, you're right, that's not masculinity. That's not mm. manhood. And you know what? You're not less of a man for feeling bad about hurting other people's feelings and, and, and being aggressive towards other people. Mm-hmm. That makes you a better man. Mm. This is the paradigm to put that into. This mm-hmm. is the principle yeah. of what you're called to in your masculinity. Mm-hmm. Who knows what could have been different? Absolutely. You know, but when it's again the polemic, it's like, yeah. Am I compassionate? Because then I must be a woman. 
Mm-hmm. You know, or am I going to be super aggressive and abusive? Well, that must you know. Then I'm a, a well-adjusted yeah. male. Like no, we're we're you know we're called to be developed by the opposite sex mm-hmm. and become a better version of ourselves by acquiring yeah. the skills and traits and talents and personalities, mm-hmm. the characteristics of the opposite sex. Yeah. So yeah. we talk about you know the masculine and feminine genius, mm-hmm. and and I define that as the set of qualities that you have primarily available to you as a male or the feminine genius is the set mm-hmm. of qualities that you have available to you primarily as a female. Mm-hmm. But in that same letter, Letter to Bishops by Ratzinger, yep. he says, for, don't forget that we are not talking about simply feminine qualities, but qualities that are ultimately human. Mm. Affiliation, human values. Human yeah. values. You know, being, mm-hmm. in, being relational. That's typically like the feminine genius. Yep. And so there's ways that the body shows that. There's the ways that our, our spirituality develops that. Mm-hmm. And there's ways that psychologically it makes sense mm-hmm. for the, the growth and happiness and holiness of the human person. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I really like what you were saying too about um, needing to take into account the full history of the individual and the way that they've experienced that modeling from mother or father. And, and the fact that, I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves and looking at the landscape of society and there's a larger and larger uh, contingent of children that are not experiencing the family as the school of love, mm. that are not experiencing, you know, fatherhood being modeled to them, masculinity. In, in fact, in many cases, there's no father. Right. I mean, the rise in single-parent homes um, and, and the confusion about this, like the, this gender ideology would say that, well, the woman can give you everything that the man can and vice versa, not right. recognizing that you know there, there is this difference that's something that's innate. There is this difference. It's connected with our nature and not meant to be this radical limitation um, but the certain gift that's there, the natural propensity characteristics you kind of talk, talked about already. Um, and, and as we're looking at the issue of like gender identity and my relationship to the way that I perceive myself uh, as male or female, it seems like from what you're saying, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, that, that a lot of that in the way that we say, well, it seems like I've always been this way. Um, just wondering if you might talk a little bit about a, about the relationship at that earlier stage of development with the parent figure who, and in my own relationship to identity and particularly thinking about gender. So I might have experienced from the earliest time that I can recall that I struggled to identify with the same sex uh, and seemed as if the opposite was what corresponded more to my interior feelings, emotions, temperament, et cetera. Um, how, is that something that's evidence that you would say that like, well, this is the way that you are or, or how would that be connected to the, the sort of the nurturing, the home life, the way they experienced or didn't experience family as a school of love? Yeah, I think this is where, again, lacking in education and in, in principles and understanding the difference between what is and what does it feel like is is really critical. Mm. You know, so um it really it really doesn't it shouldn't even be a question if we were grounded on this philosophical principle of the body spirit unity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we don't we don't wonder if we're maybe a dog. Mm-hmm. You know, but 
we could. We could actually wonder about that. Mm. And if we were immersed in a in a culture that promoted that idea, mm-hmm. it's not such a far fetched idea. Mm. And and so and and you see that happening. You see that happen sometimes. People have it. We literally, yeah. We consider it a disorder now. Mm. But so did gender dysphoria. Be that was that was considered a, a disorder not too long ago. Mm. So it's it's not a far cry to realize that the cultural milieu and the you know the, the atmosphere of what's being taught, what's being talked about, what's being promoted mm-hmm. is affecting the way people think in general and about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so this this is why we're in such a treacherous time now because. Mm. There's there's this wholesale acceptance of a, a new a new gender ideology. Mm-hmm. You know, kids in elementary school are now being given the choice to choose their pronouns, mm-hmm. and they're not even allowed to tell their parents about what's happening. The, the the teachers, the faculty, the staff are not allowed to tell parents about what's happening. Mm. This is supposed to be happening without parents knowing about it. Yep. So this is a really dangerous time. Yeah. You know, and and so if we were talking about that when it comes to like, well, you know, if you want to say that you're black, you know, what if what if you 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 buy in, you know, you're you're just like pulled into, you know, the the plight of racism and prejudice, and you're like, you have this like deep empathy and sympathy for, you know, people of color who have suffered, in in all this prejudice, and it's like, I, I feel so moved by this, I feel so hurt by this, I'm empathizing so deeply with this trauma. Maybe I am a person of color. Mm. Who's to say that I'm not? Yeah. Well, it, you could imagine going far enough in that thought process, and then if mm-hmm. you're surrounded by other people who are encouraging that, and then they're saying like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, that happens. That's yeah. a real thing." And then you're like, "Really? Yeah. That's a real thing." I mean, that's the first thing. Any any kind of anomaly that happens that's outside of our norm. What do we do? We rush to Google. You know, <laughs> we we rush to WebMD. Yeah. You know, it's like, what's this thing that's happening with my skin right now? You know, it's like I have this rash. Like, oh, that happens. It's probably because mm-hmm. of this XYZ thing. And then all of a sudden you're buying into it. And we have this cognitive bias. There's mm. all sorts of cognitive biases that are operating here. Mm. You know, there's there's a, a confirmation bias. There's there's things that we want to believe about ourselves and we find, you know, data to back it up. Mm-hmm. And there's there, you know, there's 10 different cognitive biases that are operating here. So that's the atmosphere we're looking at now. Yep. You know, so it's not it's not such a simple question. It's not such mm-hmm. a simple problem. It's it's yeah. really complex. Yeah. I mean, as we're kind of standing there in the midst of that complexity, um, one of the one of the things that is a part of this conversation, right, is people looking for the evidence, looking for the support, the backing of their particular view on the human person, especially with gender ideology and arguing that somehow there can be like the male brain stuck in a female body, vice versa. Um, we already talked a little bit about how this this experience of recognizing and developing maturely my masculinity and femininity is connected to the early experiences that I have in my home life, in my relationship with my mother and father. Um, just wondering if you can maybe comment a little bit in and I, I left this question unanswered from the last episode, simply knowing that you, you have a little bit more insight into just like the reality of brain differences. But 
This assertion, basically, that you've got the male brain stuck in the female body and vice versa, appears at least in common um, popular conversations to be one of the arguments in favor of the idea that's the transgenderism, meaning this actual discordance between who I really am um, as a person and my body, that those things could be opposed to one another. Could you comment just on that, especially from like the brain differences, male, female, et cetera? Yeah, I think it's that same idea that it's it's a confirmation bias and it's it's really still looking for ways to back up a, a, a you know a hypothesis with like these little bits of data mm-hmm. instead of it being this really reasonable understanding of the whole person. Mm. And so you can't divorce the brain functioning from the endocrine system, from the physiology of the rest of the body. Mm. You, know, you you can see again. You can find individual differences within the gender, mm-hmm. but you can't find a crossover yeah. to the opposite sex. And you can you can find similarities and like maybe certain aspects, certain like little glands or certain little aspects of the brain, mm-hmm. and where you see males operating with feminine type mm-hmm. personalities in certain little ways, or or yeah. or uh, or vice versa. And then you maybe can locate like one little part of the brain mm-hmm. where there seems, but at the end of the day, every single cell of your body is tells whether you're a male or a female. Yeah, you know the brain is not like this magical thing mm-hmm. that's sort of plopped into the into the head, mm-hmm. and you just you know you you got the wrong part mm-hmm. put in. Mm-hmm. You know it's that's not that's not physiologically integrated. Mm. And so, what's interesting is that the. You know the the academia of of the agenda doesn't even really promote that idea anymore. Hmm. Um, I mean, there, there's some that say you're in the wrong body, but really, it, in, it, even the same sex argument about the same sex attraction, where they say like I was mm-hmm. born this way, academia has kind of left both of those ideas behind. Why? Because they don't want to say that you're born anyway. Mm. They want to say, "Who are you to tell me how to live?" Mm. So I could be fully male, and I just want to be female. Mm-hmm. That's my right. I could be completely heterosexual physiologically, but then for whatever reason, I don't feel like acting heterosexual. Mm. And that's my right. Who are you to tell me mm-hmm. that I can't do that? So mm-hmm. that's where the actual agenda, you know, they they've they 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 figured out a, a long time ago, long time ago, like in brain science, that's like three years, five years ago, whatever. Mm-hmm. There is no gay gene, <clears throat> you know, and so, mm-hmm. but but the, the the whole the whole same sex agenda loves that idea. They're like, exactly, that's what we're trying to say. Nobody yeah. has the right to tell me how to live. I can do whatever yeah. I want. Yeah. I can do whatever feels good. Right? It's the motto mm-hmm. of the satanic church. Mm. You do whatever feels good, mm-hmm. and that is the motto of modern day culture. Mm. So anything that gets in the way. Mm-hmm. It's it's like self uh, implosive. It's it's not going to mm-hmm. end up. You know, it, you see like all this infighting, yeah. even within the different movements. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. I mean that that last phrase there about do whatever you want. That uh, you know, Pope Benedict, who you mentioned as Cardinal Ratzinger, had published this letter, the 2004 letter about collaboration, men mm. and women, in the church, um, and and also himself would write letter later as the Pope. And some of his addresses, especially a few uh, addresses that he gave at Christmas to the Curia, mm-hmm. touching on this whole subject of gender ideology. And, and in that, 
and I mentioned it before, is that he he says very clearly that ultimately at the heart of this, um, what people are talking about with this ideology is I want to reject that I'm a cre- I'm a creature in relationship with the Creator. Yeah. And I'm the one that's going to make the choice about who I am. I'm going to be the one that's going to make the choice about how I'm going to live and what my identity is. Um, And this is just something I've been thinking about uh, in relationship to that. If if we tell children, you decide, you choose to do whatever you want, you be whatever you want. Um, There's a nice little scene from Zootopia that that cartoon that affirms this idea, a little fox with an elephant mask in an ice cream shop and the great line from Lieutenant Judy Hopper to this little child who's got a mask of an elephant on, wants to be an elephant, and the big bad elephant says, you're not an elephant, you're a fox, you know? <laughs> and little, you know, Lieutenant Judy Hopper grabs the ice cream cone, gives it to the little baby fox and says, you can be whatever you want. <laughs> and that sounds so like warm, fuzzy, you can be whatever you want, but but actually it's, it's a lie. Like right. it's you. You cannot be whatever you want. You can be fully who God has made you to be. Part of that is freedom. Mm. So this gift of our freedom to to choose how we live our lives, yeah. but but not simply this radical blank slate. There is no nature. There's no boundaries. There's no playing field. It's just everything's fair game. Um, and, and I think about that because all right, we think we're giving kids freedom. And this is just from my own research. You might be able to add something more to the mix on it. But my understanding is that children actually need boundaries. And, oh, they, sure. and they need direction to be able to have a foundation on which to build their own sense of identity and security in the world. And what appears perhaps to be in, you know, sort of liberating the young by saying everything's fair game actually seems more and more like it's throwing them into an interior chaos because, okay, yes, like this kid has decided that I'm going to be this particular type of person. I'm going to act this way. Um, But then what happens when there's not a foundation holding me, meaning my identity, my existence doesn't come from anywhere, doesn't have any destiny, doesn't have any purpose except what I decide. And all of us kind of know inherently that if it's just me, it's just my best idea of what I think I am, that's super fragile. Mm-hmm. And that is not a solid foundation. And, and my own kind of take is that, so when you press up against that and you question it, like right. this violent reaction against it, why? Because not because you're questioning the way that my, you know, my sexual orientation or my sense of identity, you're questioning the very reality of the world I live in. Right. Because according to everybody around me, I'm the one that decided what was real, what was true. Um, and, and so I think that relativism seeping in and the young especially, I see how that has destabled and, and perhaps even led to the proliferation of things like, you know, teen suicide, you know, this like a despair in the world because, well, if I'm the one who makes it all up, and I realize that I'm just as fickle as my emotions and whatever happens in my, you know, like science class in ninth grade and like all of a sudden the world's spinning out of control because things didn't go well. Um, I realize the world's totally out of control. I'm not in control. I'm the one they said who was in control. Now what? Right. Um, it's a completely inconsistent, incoherent system to live by. 
Yeah. And and what you're saying is is absolutely right. It's a basis of of a lot of psychological discord and suffering in the world. Mm-hmm. Because because we and I shouldn't say the world. I think probably in in really, you know, upper upper well developed areas where people have time to sit around and make up this stuff. You know, people that are mm-hmm. in third world countries don't have time to mess around with these stupid ideas. Mm-hmm. They're just like in it. They're just like farming and like trying to get food and hoping mm-hmm. for water. And you know, mm-hmm. but it's 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 you know, it's this completely incoherent system. Like science is based on the need for principles. Mm. The whole idea that you can like study multiple, you know, experiments mm-hmm. and come up with data that is meaningful to apply to other scenarios mm. means that you're trying to find some some reason, some some mm-hmm. some consistency, some coherence in the universe. Mm. But then at the same time, this belief is like, well, it's whatever you want it to be. Well, mm. then why would you ever care what anybody else is experiencing? Totally. You know, it's completely yeah. irrational. Mm. And and at the end of the day, you know, one of the one of the sort of threads of of sort of secular psychology I like to follow is is positive psychology from Martin Seligman. He's the founder of mm-hmm. this movement of positive psychology, mm-hmm. and he talks about these five pillars of flourishing. Mm-hmm. And one of them is having a consistent worldview, in which the weight of the world does not fall on your shoulders. Mm. And and this this idea of of a of a worldview in which there's some other force out there that that wrote the book mm-hmm. that makes the rules actually gives us peace. Mm. Like you're saying, we need not only children; we are the children yeah. who need rules. Mm-hmm. And so you know, and this is a fundamental difference, statistically significant, studied over tens of thousands of. Uh, he actually studies post-war um, veterans mm. who come back from experiencing trauma, mm-hmm. and he, he he figures out the difference between soldiers who suffer PTSD from soldiers who don't, who thrive and actually become better versions mm. of themselves. You know, thriving members of community, even mm-hmm. though they watch their buddies, you know, limbs get blown off and whatever mm-hmm. else, maybe their own. What's the difference? Well, he he statistically discovered that. The people who thrive afterwards have a worldview in which the weight of the world does not fall on their shoulders. Why? Mm-hmm. Because when those people who think it does fall on their shoulders go mm-hmm. out and meet the real world where people can get blown up, mm-hmm. you realize that you can't stop that from happening. Mm-hmm. It's a silly illusion mm-hmm. that you can make up the rules. Mm-hmm. And it's only people who don't face tragedy that actually like get away with living that way in that mindset. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we have to confront that fact. And what what does it do? Tr- what does it? Tragedy does it. Death does it. When mm-hmm. we confront our own death, yeah. And that's why memento mori. That's why we need to yeah. like meditate on the last things. That's why mm-hmm. we have to be in relationship with our own death. Mm-hmm. Because it's sobering. Mm. It's like, what was I thinking? Like, this mm. is not okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm gonna have to face this reality that I can't mm. escape or do anything about, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. actually have to figure out. What what happens afterwards? Yeah, yeah. Well, I you know, um, kind of circling this back around with you know this, the purpose, the meaning of life. Uh, we've already kind of spoken about this in some of these previous episodes. That this revelation that comes with Christ 
is that the purpose and the identity, the, the meaning, the direction that all of our lives is fundamentally oriented towards, is this relationship with God um, as a creature, yes, but even deeper than that as a child? And the way that we live that relationship is interesting, this school of love, which is the family, I'm just kind of tying it together that that that's a training, yes, for how to love in this life, but it's also a training for us how to live as a child of the Father. Um, it's a training for us what it means to do that as a man, as a woman, as a you know, as a boy, as a girl. Um, and and yet there are people that we know, right? They they have this experience. It's a deep struggle in their lives. Um, the world wants to say that the answer to that struggle is simply saying that there is no struggle, there is no right. difficulty, there is no boundaries, there are no rules. And yet the fruit of that, again, that we see, and, and we've, I talked a little bit about this in the first episode, you know, the, the comorbidity rates of psychological distress and disorders for folks who are experiencing, um, you know, gender identity dysphoria, like that sort of the fruit of following that path of being unanchored in the universe, unanchored in our lives and our existence uh, doesn't lead to that happiness that you said, you know, kind of describing the two sides of the coin, the happiness that we're made for. And, and you know, and I think what we're saying as a church is the reason it doesn't lead to the happiness is because it's not anchored to holiness. Right. And holiness is about relationship, fundamentally relationship with God. And that relationship is lived out through the humanity that we've been given as a man, as a woman, um, I, this last episode as well was just talking about Jesus Christ as the perfect ideal of our humanity mm. and seeing that integration that you've been mentioning, the way that we receive from the opposite sex certain insights into our own humanity, you and your, your, your wonderful experience or you know, sort of eye-opening moment with your daughter, wife teaching you. Um, we see how the Lord desires this fullness of life, this integration uh, and it's and it's only to be found in that relationship, um, in that relationship with Christ, in that relationship with the Father as a beloved child, um, and He wants to teach us that. And and you know we didn't quite get into it today so much, and and I think it's okay. There's so much more to be said on the topic. Obviously, there's <laughs> we could be here till the uh, the sun comes up, but uh, but I think that this fundamental truth that God has made us differently with that purpose that you mentioned um, is, is at the heart of what we're talking about as a church. When we say that we are made male, female, when we say that we are made with these gifts, characteristics that we refer to as masculinity and femininity, not as uh, rigid limitations or stereotypes, but as the context to grow and mature in our humanity, the fullness of life that we're made for. Um, but uh, so just thank you. Thank you for sharing with us, Dr. Greg Bataro. Just want to give you a moment, maybe if you want to say anything about the work that you are doing. You mentioned already the Catholic Psych Institute. Um, if you'd like to share anything more about that with our audience, who will be listening ways to connect with you and, and the work that you have happening, your online presence. Yeah, yeah. You know, first, I, I, I kind of feel moved to share a little bit more about um, Something I probably should have touched on, or we should, we could have maybe started with, which is um, you know the pastoral response, mm-hmm. because there are so many people suffering, mm-hmm. and so there there are so many facets to tackle, and there are so many open ended you know open loops that need to be closed, 
Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we could do a you know twelve part series on yeah. this. But but one of the most important I find in my work is dealing with the pastoral issue. Family members that have family members who are suffering with this, or you know, people that are experiencing it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that the the first responsibility that we have as a church is to understand this issue mm. and to then normalize the experience of disorder. Mm. And instead of separating this out, like this is the this is the thing. Yeah. That makes you, you know, anathema. And it's like, now you really went too far. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, forget about my disorder. Yeah. You know, let's make sure we're calling that disorder. Mm-hmm. That's the worst perspective to have in approaching mm-hmm. this issue, especially because it's typically a break in being uh, received and, mm-hmm. and, and being given in relationship. Mm-hmm. From that school of love, in some way, shape, or form. Not saying it's like all parents' fault or whatever, but it's just there's usually a wound of relationship at mm-hmm. the foundation of the wound of identity. Yep. And then if we're coming through this saying like, well, our pastoral approach is we're gonna be, you know, we're gonna make sure you understand this is a disorder. That's the most important <laughs> thing. It's like you're just amplifying the wound. Yeah. So we need to take a step back and take a good, cold, hard look at ourselves. Mm-hmm. And understand, first of all, we are disordered. Sin mm-hmm. is disorder. Whether you have your sexual identity correct or not, like, okay, that's one thing. But then what are you doing with it? What are you doing with your prayer life? What are you doing with your receptivity to the fatherhood of God? Are you abandoning mm-hmm. yourself in trust? Or are you running around anxious about every little thing? Not because it's, uh, there's a difference between a disorder and a spiritual-based mm-hmm. anxiety, but how are you living your life yeah. a- according to faith? So start there, then realize, okay, this is my flavor of disorder. That's your flavor of disorder. We're mm-hmm. kind of in this together. Yep. So like, let's work this out together. Amen. You know, and we can stay grounded on the principles. Again, they have to be there. We don't want to get lost in the confusion. But we, we start with affiliation mm-hmm. and then accompaniment. And then we walk towards that truth together. But not with judgment of us versus them. It's got to mm-hmm. be we're in this together. Yeah. You know, so I, I just wanted to make sure that got put into this episode Amen. somewhere. Thank you. Um, you know, because that is uh, that is the work that we do. You know, the Catholic yeah. Psych Institute. We have therapy. We do online therapy. We do. You know, we walk with people. Yeah. In this journey, in many different ways, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, we find you know our our model is based on the therapist recreating and almost reparenting relationships mm. and helping people have a new experience of being loved. Mm selflessly mm-hmm. for their sake mm. and then and helping them to to move that into an understanding of of uh, being a son or a daughter of God Amen. and and that's like the most important only important thing yeah you know and so at the end of the day that's going to be health that's going to be psychological health it's spiritual health mm-hmm. it's freedom it's it's all the rest so um, you asked for contact information we're at catholicpsych.com Um all the stuff is there. There's some resources, there's some free stuff there. You can contact awesome. us through there. So yeah, it's all there. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> Dr. Gring, thank you. Father Malky, thank you. I was uh, able to just sit back, relax, and enjoy <laughs> enjoy the episode on this one. So it uh, made my life very easy. But I think I really, um, maybe just kind of to very briefly summarize and sort of give you a chance to also give some uh, some references is, 
what was very clear is the principle that the relationship and the unity between body and soul mm-hmm. or body and spirit is a principle that's foundational. It seems like in a lot of ways this conversation, if we're not addressing that and sort of coming to the truth on that, then a lot of it is, you know, like whatever is rearranging, you know, the ship on the Titanic when it's going down. Do you have any any references for the reading basically to show like this is true that the the body makes visible the invisible? Would you have any references for that? I mean, it's really basic philosophical principle. It's it's like you have to get into some like pretty deep, you know, uh, foundational philosophy. I'm not sure. You know, it's like Aquinas, Aristotle. Yeah, there's a there's a great um, father. Is it Brian's field? The book, the 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 philosophy of the human person and the thought of John Paul II. Something Brian's field, I think, is the last name of the author. But it's a it's a good introductory to to some of that. He gets into the body soul in that one, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean Peter Kreef definitely talks about this in in a lot of his work. Um I can't think of like a specific topic or a specific title, but um the topic is is ever present in a lot of what he does. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, that's that's sorry I can't give you a So the there. answer there there's a ton. There's a lot out there. There's for a lot it. there. You and, know, yeah. If you look up Cartesian dualism, that's this idea of the split. The more contemporary version of it, mm-hmm. and you know, if you look at like arguments against dualism, you know, the unity of the person, unity of body and spirit, um, that would be a good place to start. Great, because so I think so. Wrestling with that sort of very foundational philosophical questions, is it true, basically, that my almost that like my body means anything or says anything that that's actually. Um, True, and then we kind of talked about like, okay, now is it almost like Pope Benedict's letter? I guess it was when it was Cardinal Ratzinger, kind of like now, is it also good? The complementarity of the sexes. What's the What's the name of that letter? Just so people can the the letter he wrote to the bishops on the letter to the bishops on the collaboration of man and woman, men and women in the church. And I'm sure that's probably you can probably find that on the Vatican website. Yep, for yep. Free, just, free download Vatican cool. website. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great, and I just I guess the end. Just I love. You're, you're taking the reins and being proactive in the sort of the pastoral um, response at the end. Because I think that's important is that in a lot of ways, this was an, a somewhat of an intellectual exercise. We're talking about ideas and principles and science and things like that. But you don't do what you do to sort of be in the business of intellectual sparring, but it's to help people because you yeah. love people and care about exactly. people. Exactly. Yeah. Amen. And the experience is so important. And that's why I tell people all the time, like in this in this conversation, if we don't agree on that fundamental principle, I understand why you think what what you think. Like I get how you got to your conclusion. Mm-hmm. Like sympathy, empathy, like just look at people suffering. Like of course, like who am I to tell you how to live? Of course. Who are you? If you come over and try to tell me how to live, like I'm going to have some strong reaction to that. Mm-hmm. So if we if we disagree on these fundamental principles, then of course I I have deep sympathy for why you got to where you're at and why you think what you do. And that's why I think what you said is true. It's like it's like the most important piece. Mm-hmm. In my work, we we talk about it as being it's like a dance, and and when you're dancing with another person, you need a person who has a skeleton and also who has flesh. And and if you ha- if you're missing either one, it's going to be a pretty terrible dance. Mm. You know, you don't want to dance with a skeleton without flesh. That's pretty uncomfortable. And you can't dance with a you know a bag of flesh without a skeleton because it's not going to go anywhere. You need both. So the the the, the skeleton is, are the principles, 
And the flesh is like the lived experience, the emotion, the feeling, and entering into that. Mm. And that's how you're going to be able to work with people. So um, I wouldn't emphasize one or the other. I would say both are necessary, but I think it probably feels really dry because we're not used to talking about so much principle. It's kind of an intellectual exercise. Mm. But that, that's why I wanted to kind of flesh it out a little bit more at the end. Yeah, I'm grateful for that. And the, yeah, I think, I think you, um, what you said was great, but what you revealed about yourself and your own heart for the topic and for people, I think shown through, shine through, whatever that word is. And so I'm exceedingly grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, as we bring in for a close, I think we'll have Father Malky close us with a prayer. And then again, just a, a reminder. So this is part three of a, of a four part series, which is meant to be taken in its totality in its entirety. And so the, the last one, Father Malky and I will be very much kind of addressing some of the pastoral yeah, exactly. uh, questions, so particularly actually, the, the sort of the, pro, like, what do you do with pronouns question? Yeah, that'll be part of that. Yeah, yeah. so it was excellent that we, we shifted over to the pastoral because that's where we'll spend that last episode just kind of honing in. Awesome. Because all of this intellectual work is, is essentially to give us the principles to know how to carry out mm-hmm. the task of the pastoral ministry because um, at the heart of it all is the desire for each person to encounter that that authentic identity that comes from knowing the love of God the Father. Mm. I mean, man, that's where we come alive. That's where we're made free. Mm. Um, so why don't we just close with a prayer here. Uh, just begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Abba Father, we do thank you that, that we are yours. We thank you for the gift that has been given to each of us as men, as women, uh, the the gift, Lord, of of being more than just flesh, having the gift of our soul, the gift of being those who are made in your image and likeness, capable of relationship with you, with one another. We we pray for the grace to just go deeper into that, to grow in holiness. We pray, Lord, for those those who at this moment find themselves struggling particularly to receive your love, to know who they are before you. We pray for the grace of your Holy Spirit to move in their lives for healing, for the removal of every obstacle so that each of us can know, um, yeah, know the joy of that love, know the freedom that it brings to us. We pray that we be anchored more and more in the truth, anchored more and more in your merciful love. And we offer this prayer to you, Jesus, uh, through your blessed mother, through the intercession of St. Joseph and all the angels and saints. All glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As, as it, it was, was in the beginning, beginning is now, now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. St. Francis, pray, pray for us. us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 God bless you all.